Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Andrew. And until this very evening, I thought that having seen Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me as the first introduction to Twin Peaks that I ever had was a bad thing. But I was just told that even David Lynch says that it should be the first one that you watch. Well, it is the prequel. It is the prequel, but I I feel like in the same way that the Star Wars prequels kind of spoil a lot of the drama of Star Wars, don't you think this kind of spoils the drama of first couple seasons of Twin Peaks? Yeah, yeah, I actually think so. I think maybe Lynch was kind of assuming when he made that statement that it had been years and years after the fact. And and you'd already seen everything a, once already? <laughs> right, and, you know, it never hurts to rewatch a Lynch film or a TV series. That is very true. It's not, it's not like you get it all the first time. Unless it's Inland Empire. Oh, of course. Then it hurts to um, watch it no matter how many times. Uh, this is Phil, your other co-host, and I remember... Buying the compact disc soundtrack to this movie <laughs> when I was 18 solely so I could get a copy of The Pink Room, that uh, great song by the band that David Lynch formed for this soundtrack. Yeah. Sounds great. The it's Thought great. Gang. Yeah. Yeah. The Thought Gang. Uh, we are doing a listener's request today. The listener's request is Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. And our guest is Steve. Steve, hi- say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. How are you doing tonight? Doing hey. great. Doing great. I'm sure everybody out there is doing great. Uh, and thank you very much for bringing this to us, Steve. Uh, the I had actually seen this. I can't remember whether it was early this year or late last year. I had seen it at the Alamo Draft House on the big screen, which was the second time that I had seen the film. So this was time number three. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of nice to have seen it twice in pretty quick succession. And we'll get into all the reasons why here in a minute. Um, but first, I want to tell you how you can find us on the web. Uh, you can find us by going to our website, which is www.in-the-q. That's the letter Q.com. That is our blog where you can find all of the episodes posted. And you can also uh, post feedback if you'd like to or recommend a film that you would like to come on the show and talk about. We'd love to have you just like Steve is on the show today. We'd love to have you on the show with whatever film you think is interesting to talk about and you can come on and talk about it uh you can do the same thing on our facebook page by going to facebook and searching for in the queue q-u-e-u-e film conversations with andrew and phil and uh you can like our page and then we'll kind of fill up your feed with some interesting tidbits and sort of uh side articles or videos about the films that we're we're talking about as well as uh Mm -hmm. posting the actual episodes themselves yeah. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ITQ podcast is our, uh, right. That's right. <laughs> at ITQ podcast is our Twitter handle. Uh, still is, yep. still is still the same as it always has been. And, uh, you can engage us in conversation there. Or lastly, you can go to any of your podcast aggregators like iTunes or overcast and search for in the queue, Q U E U E film conversations with Andrew and Phil, and you can subscribe to the podcast to get every single episode beamed straight to you through the magic of the internet mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. yes so without any further ado the trailer for twin peaks fire walk with me other person who could have known where it was. Did Bobby give you this? Or is there someone new? Your Laura disappeared. It's just me now. You made me write it all down. Don't do that. She doesn't like that. How do you know what she likes? Just like my Laura. It's 
that last note for a really long time <laughs> I, gotta, uh, I gotta interject with this great anecdote about julie cruz sure singer you know who's who's contributed so many lynch films over the years sure when she had to sing the love theme to twin peaks david lynch directed her to sing to like the one that she loves the most and so that she was thinking in her mind as she was singing that emotional song not of a lover but of her dog <laughs> that's what she says she was singing to her dog that's Aww. amazing uh i love that i love that uh normally this is the part in the podcast where i describe the plot of a film but i feel like that's almost a moot point <laughs> with this movie not just because it's a david lynch film and usually describing the plots of david lynch films is a difficult uh, proposition but also because i think that kind of what we already talked about uh, this film requires some knowledge of what has come before in Twin Peaks. It requires some, it ostensibly, it's kind of a mystery of sorts, uh, kind of infused with a very Lynchian surrealism that uh, uh, sort of tracks the life of this young woman by the name of Laura Palmer, who famously at the beginning of the Twin Peaks television series is dead, is murdered, homecoming queen, the beauty of the high school. And that series is kind of all about trying to figure out who killed her and, and how it happened. And this movie is mm -hmm. a continuation of that mystery, but telling it in the present for Laura Palmer. So the last X number of days of Laura Palmer's life is kind of what this film concerns itself with. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I won't really go into any more details. I'm sure that we're going to get into some spoiler territory as we talk about this film, because I think it's going to be hard to talk about it without talking about plot points. Uh, but Steve, I wanted to hear from you first. Why was this the film that you wanted to bring on the show and talk about? Uh, what uh, was interesting about it? What did you think uh, uh, would, uh, what inspired you to, to bring it to us? Basically. I, I am uh, an absolute twin peaks fanatic mm -hmm. and uh uh, with the uh, the third season having come out uh, not too long ago, yeah. it certainly it's been on my mind. I've been uh, rewatching the first and second season, looking at the third season, looking at Firewalk with Me and the excerpts, and uh, like like every other Twin Peaks fan out there, trying to piece together that <laughs> what does it mean uh, that, mm, yeah. that that we all have kind of directed uh, towards a, a lot of the things that Mr. Lynch does. Uh, uh, I I feel like it is it's it's kind of eye candy if you uh, if you like the world of Twin Peaks, mm -hmm. there's something about the look of this film that captures that with an air of uh, something even more sinister. And since that was your introduction, uh, <laughs> Andrew, I'm I'm kind of curious as to uh, you know I I grew I saw the series first and then the movie and the movie looked yeah. like a weird dark you know polished fairy tale built on the series but for you you're starting with the weird dark polished yeah. fairy tale <laughs> and then moving into the series which had to seem totally campy yeah but it's interesting it's interesting because i think that the way like here this was kind of my route to twin peaks i had become kind of infatuated with david lynch because in my the last few years of high school, I was, you know, getting really into film and like watching all of the sort of auteurs that I could and devouring as much interesting cinema as I possibly could. And David Lynch, of course, shows up <laughs> on that list. And so I had watched Eraserhead and I had gone to see uh, Lost Highway twice in the theaters when it was in the theaters in 1997. And I was like riding this high of David Lynch fascination when we got to film school and they screened... Twin Peaks Firewalk with me in one of the theaters and I went to go see it. And while I was totally confused as to what was going on, 
uh, I it left an indelible impression. You know, it, it it certainly, as you say, had that kind of sinister bent to it and was very very unsettling in a lot of ways. Um, but in when I got around to watching the television show, which actually wasn't for a few years after that, I was probably when I was about twenty two or twenty three. Uh, I, I sat down and watched the television show and. I actually found it in a lot of ways more engaging than the film. I found I, uh, to me, Twin Peaks feels like David Lynch's take on a soap opera, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of his, it's, it's David Lynch reimagining the soap opera in Lynchian terms. And so that camp that you're talking about that does show up in the series feels more soap opera ish than the film does. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it's paced out really well in the series. Uh, and it, it sort of goes back and forth between high comedy and really dark weirdness. And it's this yeah. kind of, you know, build and release of tension um, that I don't think the movie necessarily has. The movie is kind of unrelentingly mm-hmm. dark and, and somber and, and disturbing. And so it mm-hmm. it was actually kind of nice to watch the series after watching the film because I was like, oh, this is like this is a lot more fun <laughs> than that yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, watching the the film again, the first half hour of Fire Walk with Me could just very well be another episode of the first two seasons of Twin Peaks. Sure, it's it's almost exactly the same length, though, just under half an hour, and it it kind of follows the quirky lives of these likable characters. It's very humorous and 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 fun and and uh, and a little weird, of course. And then the film kind of does become this, as you say, unrelenting uh, exploration of the tr- the troubled psyche of this abuse survivor. Yeah, and it yeah. just it never lets up. And it's just uh, you know it's it's classified as a horror as well as being a drama and a mystery. And it is kind of like a suburban horror. I mean, uh, suburbia, I don't think has has rarely seen this horrific and, and, uh, this, you know, the stately home where the, the Palmers live, like is, is as terrifying as any haunted house that I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah. Um, that scene when, um, when Laura discovers Bob, you know, cowering in her room by the dresser and then she runs out of the house screaming is just really scary. Uh, Oh yeah. And, it's and the whole just, lead into that where she's like walking slowly through the entire house and it's almost complete silence except for this kind of like low drone. And it, it's just like, it's really unsettling. <laughs> yeah, the, the hum of electricity, the ceiling yeah. fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I, yeah. as with anything Lynch, it's the sound design is, is masterful. Just fantastic. Yeah. He truly, he truly cares like few other directors. Mm-hmm. about how how well sound can establish mood and feeling and i mean i, I think he definitely is, is is concerned with how the movie feels primarily but he's 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 really masterful in the sense that he cares about the overall feeling and the visuals and the sound but he's also really great about getting performances out of his actors that are impactful and moving they're not like he's somehow able to motivate them to participate in his really specific weird vision and <laughs> i think that i think it's because he knows just how to talk to actors you know like he's yeah he's not talking to them like a like a writer you know he's not saying okay so this bowl of cream corn represents how i feel about such and such you know he knows how to how to get them to access the the part where the emotions come out of and that's why he's such a talented guy as director yeah well it, it certainly lends an element uh uh of expression beyond what the words are, you know, there in the script and that sort of thing. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I think of uh, uh, going back to the series, we're getting out of the film here, but the, uh, the scene in the first episode when Leland is on the phone with Sarah and uh, Sheriff Truman arrives to deliver him the news that, that Laura is dead. That is one of the most heart wrenching scenes. Oh, yeah. And uh, the, the, the layer of emotion that's being spilled out of those characters without any words whatsoever. That, that I think, I think that's what you're, what you're talking about. That could be mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Definitely. And, and yeah. It's, it's 
it's a real talent to be able to be a result-oriented director, but also know how to motivate actors and not just focus on their result. Well, yeah, and, and I think that part of what makes Lynch Lynch and his ability to get those kind of performances uh, allows him as a director to be kind of agile and do things that nobody really does except for him and maybe a couple of other directors, such as juxtaposing those highly melodramatic, intense performances against situations or scenes that are very counter to that emotion and make you feel really uncomfortable and out of place. Steve, you're saying that, that Leland's grief in, in the first, in the beginning of Twin Peaks, the television show is, is so palpable and so real, but he draws that out for several episodes in the series and has Leland insert himself into situations. Like he shows up at the lodge and he's just weeping and sad about the death of his daughter. And it, it's so uncomfortable (laughs) because other people are just conducting business or going about their lives and he'll show up and be inserted into this situation with that same level of intensity of feeling that he had in that, that scene where it seemed very appropriate. And all of a sudden we as an audience get really uncomfortable because it doesn't seem like the right situation or the right, like there was no cinematic lead in to, help us understand the context or why this is happening. Right. And that, you know, it's, it's interesting you touch on that because I feel like that's one of the things within fire walk with me that, that makes it a hard watch cold. If you haven't seen the series, yeah, I've, I've always kind of joked about it and said, I don't really think that there is an ounce of character development happening (laughs) in fire walk with me. All of it. (laughs) All of it happens in the series. When they throw yeah. you into the first scene with with Laura and Donna walking down the street, now you've got a you've got a brand new Donna, by the yeah, way. That's, yeah, that's uh, yeah. And and they're talking to Mike and Bobby. There's an understanding that you know the relationship amongst these people yeah. for this to make sense. Watching Firewalk with me first, and and uh, I don't want to knock. Uh, the, the, the Lynch prescription of Firewalk with me in season one and season two and three, and it'll make sense. But I think if when, when I navigate people through, I'm, I'm like the thinking of myself as like the Timothy Leary of Twin Peaks here. When I take somebody through the Twin Peaks trip, I always, I, I'll go through the first season all the way up until who killed Laura and then go back to Firewalk with me and like have a dose of the dark stuff. And now let's move into the back into the soap opera and uh-huh. write it out from there. Yeah. But that's my preferred, you know, how to see it makes sense. But that there's, does, there's, that does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah, I, allows I, I, the agility that you were talking about for Lynch to be able to move around and do things differently. He's not bogged down with trying to tell you who the characters are. Yeah. You know, I'm going to move into the action of the story that you want to see this behind the scenes. Yeah. Also, sure. uh, David Foster Wallace had a really good summary of what is Lynchian. He wrote in one of his essays on film, he said that the Lynchian feeling is that juxtaposition of the unbelievably grotesque with the unbelievably banal. Mm. And it's those things together where you have, you know, like um, comic relief where two likable fellows joke about, you know, cherry pie. And then you've got a horrible bind, torture, kill scenario in the same film. Mm-hmm. So and these they exist in the same universe, the the Lynch universe. Yeah. Um, and I was I remember when I was eleven years old. It seems like the only episode I saw of Twin Peaks was the one where they revealed who killed Laura Palmer, because that's the only one that I remember, and it was a terrifying thing. I remember being just as frightened of that white horse that materialized out of thin air in front of Mrs. Palmer as mm-hmm. I was just as, as afraid of that as I was of Leland, like gleefully chasing after Maddie and, and killing her. Um, those things are all his style. It's kind of what he became known for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and he departed from that style at times, but you know, he became this cause celebre, if you will, uh, for, for many of the films he made, but I feel like when, when Twin Peaks came on TV, people were sort of ch- critics were championing it as 
a watershed moment in television, but it it didn't really catch on with the audience as hard, which is why they had to truncate it and reveal who killed Laura Palmer in the second season. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, I will say that I think that the lasting impact of it is greater than they ever could have imagined at the time. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. certainly something like Lost probably wouldn't have happened without Twin Peaks coming before it. And, uh, you know, I mean, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse are certainly, I mean, they, they're, they're modeling themselves after the kind of obtuse mystery of Lynch and the kind of asking all the questions and then never giving any answers that that he is kind of known for. And especially in the realm of television, Twin Peaks is really pioneering in that regard and putting that out mm-hmm. there. But I know, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Steve, but uh, if I remember correctly, fans of the show, when the movie came out, were very unhappy with it. Oh, yeah. Like, they hated it. Yeah, yeah. It was it was not like the series at all. You yeah. know, it, 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 I think a lot of people went into it thinking they were going to get a continuation, you know, something of the series exactly the way the series was. And I, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, uh, Lynch taking to the medium that he has learned to navigate so well, I think, I think that the television series was, that was strange water for him. And then getting back into film, he was like, no, 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 I know how this works. And I can make a film that looks the way, you know, you, I, I think of, uh, you think of Blue Velvet or uh, Wild at Heart, the, the sense of I can, I can paint this storyline in this particular frame of the the Pacific Northwest, I can I can write the same kind of thing here. Look at how beautiful it will be, and uh, yeah, I, I know a lot of fans were just like, no, no, that's, what what is this? This is not Twin Peaks. This is something and different. picture, yeah, guys, yeah. picture picture the outrage of the fans. Cl- season two of Twin Peaks ends on the ultimate cliffhanger in all of television. What the fuck is going to happen to Dale Cooper? Right. right. David Lynch makes a movie and does not pick up where he leaves off. Everybody yeah. wanted to know what happened to Cooper, and he just totally abandoned that storyline. Yeah, he, right. goes, right. he, he goes and does a prequel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, it, it, to me it always felt like, um, you know, I know he was under pressure from uh, ABC to reveal who killed Laura, and it almost seems to me that from the moment you know that, some of the some of the 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 writing of the series starts to go downhill a little bit, and it becomes mm-hmm. even more, you know, soap opera-ish. Uh, you get into the the Evelyn Marsh story, and it's just kind of yeah. crazy. I, I I feel like in that span of time, Lynch is maybe pouring some more effort into Firewalk with me. I don't really know what the timeline was, and then at it was, some point, it was actually it was Wild at Heart. Actually, that's what it was because. Uh, I mean, some people love season two. I I re- mostly dislike season two of Twin Peaks, but. Mm-hmm. The reason why Lynch was not as involved in season two and Frost and everybody else had to kind of imitate his style, uh, it was because Lynch was busy making Wild at Heart and, and oh, taking taking go. that Sorry. to Cannes and taking that around. And then uh, Thank goodness Lynch, he did that. <laughs> Lynch did direct a couple episodes of season two, and they're easily the best episodes of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first but, uh, uh, hour and a half opener for season two he directed, right, with the tall man. As well as the finale and the yep. uh, the episode where they reveal who killed Laura Palmer. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does show up again there at the end when it when it gets weird and gets that strange you know <laughs> look that we're used to seeing. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at its core, Twin Peaks and certainly Firewalk with Me are kind of noir fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's detective stuff. It's like pulp detective stuff. And uh, it's just got this this weird bent to it. And I think on that level, if you want to treat this just as kind of, well, I, I guess the film doesn't really work as a detective movie so much because we spend most of our time with Laura Palmer. But it, I, I'm trying to reconstruct how I felt when I walked out of this when I was 18 years old, uh, having not seen anything Twin Peaks at all. But having seen mm-hmm. Eraserhead and having seen Wild at Heart and having seen uh, uh, Lost Highway multiple times, which at the time was one of my favorite movies and might might still be my favorite Lynch outside of The Elephant Man. But uh, it it's 
so I was prepared for the surreality of it, you know, the surreal nature of it. Um, and I, I just don't know. I remember being extremely confused and feeling like there was a lot of information that I still needed. So as a standalone movie, I'm not sure that it works at all. And I, I don't think, think you could watch it on its own. Yeah. Even, even that's... if you watched it before the rest of Twin Peaks, I think that that's probably doing yourself a disservice. This movie was was hated and reviled by critics when it came out. It it yeah. premiered at Cannes, and David Lynch had just won the Palme d'Or at Cannes for Wild at Heart. Yeah. And then he brings his next film there two years later, and the critics hated it. This movie has the worst Metascore I think I've ever seen, especially in proportion to the quality of film that it is. It's got a 28 Metascore on IMDb Ouch. with with a 7.2 overall rating. Yeah, critics hated it, I think in part because it doesn't stand on its own, uh, as you say. But I don't know. I'm trying to re- reassemble in my mind. If we, if Andrew, you and I were at the same screening at, at School of the Arts, because yeah. do you recall uh, our mutual friend Jen Hare, who's now mm-hmm. working in the film industry in L.A.? Yeah. She used to sit in the very front row yeah. of every screening on campus. That. And she sat in the front row of Firewalk with me, and I was sitting many rows back, and then Bob appears, and then Jen gets up and, like, runs to the back of the theater and sits, like, <laughs> way far away. And I was wondering if you were at that screening, because I don't think they screened it more than once. No, when I, we were I was probably at that screening. I don't remember that happening, but I <laughs> I love that anecdote. <laughs> that's, that's very funny to me. I mean, Bob's terrifying. And we were just talking, Steve, before – before you, you we, we got you on the line about the fact that Bob was just a grip on yeah. the, the, the set and David Lynch basically changed the whole trajectory of the show just to accommodate this guy who looked weird and he wanted to put him in the show. Yeah, yeah. Frank, Frank Silva. Uh, yeah. The, the, the story, the way that I heard it was that he was, uh, he was arranging furniture upstairs uh, for, the, for the shoot in Laura's bedroom. Yeah. And uh, somebody uh, had said had called up to him, like, be careful. Don't let the door close on you. It'll lock. We don't have a key. And uh, Lynch supposedly overheard that. And the idea of Frank Silva locked in a teenage girl's bedroom was just too much to resist. And so he rushes (laughs) up with the camera. He's like, let me just do some shots of you in the room. Can you crouch down behind the bed like you're behind bars and just act scared? And and so he does some pans of the room. And then later. Uh, when they're cutting the um, for the pilot uh, at the very end, when Mrs. Palmer sits up on her couch after having the vision of the gloved hand taking the the heart that was buried, uh, she 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 sits up and she screams, "Leland, I saw him!" If you look at the wind, at the mirror just behind her, you can see Frank Silva reflected there. And they caught that on the cutting room. They're like, "Oh no, we got to put him in." And so yeah, so that so suddenly now Frank Silva is uh, he's in and he's Bob, <laughs> one of the most terrifying yeah. you know supernatural villains i've had nightmares with the man in them and i'm sure anybody who watches <laughs> the series as much as i do probably has some bob nightmares to talk about too but oh, yeah for sure. he's terrifying yeah he's mm-hmm. one of those those indelible lynchian images that you just you never forget like yeah. the like the the man behind the diner in Mulholland drive that's almost oh, yeah the first time you see robert blake's character in lost highway yeah. Like these just instantaneous, terrifying images. People, you know, Lynch does a lot of interesting stuff, and especially in this film. And I don't, I have not read anything about the, the what people think that this means or anything. But he does a lot of interesting sort of mask work, right? Whether that's face paint or makeup or actual physical masks and this movie has a number of physical masks one of which i think is one of the most terrifying things in the world it's just the guy in the in the suit with the red and the when they're it goes to the red room the first time in this film Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and he's the one who's jumping up and down on the box over to the side and he's the first one you see superimposed over with the long nose terrifying stuff and he he has this amazing ability perhaps because of his background in visual art and his uh, affinity for that. But uh, just like instantaneous terror. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing. 
I kind of see this movie as not so much a successful film the way like, uh, you know, the elephant man is sure. rather like a kind of an, especially when, when things really go south and, and we, we, we are entered the final moments, the final hours of Laura Palmer's life. And it's just like a, a surreal living nightmare, especially that, um, it's more of like a weird kind of art piece, a, a kind of like yeah. a visual, almost a, an installation that you're stepping into, I feel. And it seems to be, what it's about seems to me the same kind of territory that people who study trauma are studying. Mm-hmm. It seems to me to be trauma studies in writ large on a film screen and kind of studying what it what it does to Laura Palmer in particular and what it's like, what it feels like to live in that kind of a nightmare. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a very Lynchian thing as well. I mean, almost every film that he made was in some way exploring the ways that human beings inflict trauma upon each other and the lasting scars from that trauma. I mean, Blue Velvet is certainly about that. Lost Highway is about that. Mulholland Drive is about that. You know, most most of his best work, you know, with the exception mm-hmm. of maybe something like Dune, which we just talked about recently on this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which is is Lynchian and not Lynchian for all the reasons that you might expect from a big studio hiring a, a you know, a really out there auteur. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it does feel a bit like an installation or like some sort of uh, art art piece towards the end and it's unsettling there's a lot of strobe lights there's a lot of harsh you know uplighting or downlighting to accentuate the the people's faces and all of that there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really make sense uh i still don't understand the one-armed man i don't i mean i know he shows up in this series but i don't understand he seems to be the the good man trying to save Laura Palmer from the evil bad man. So uh, she's, that is oh, that's the, all I got. He's the good <laughs> angel. Like if if Bob is the bad angel on Leland's shoulder, he's the good angel on the other shoulder. He just never shows up in time. Well, okay. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'll, I'll, I'll do this yeah. out possibly a spoiler. So so you you know that the um we'll call him the, uh, uh, the man from another place, Michael Anderson's character, yeah, yeah. The, uh, uh, the, the dancing man in the red suit, you know, that he is the one armed man's other arm, right? He no. says that early in the film. I okay. am the arm. I, I am the arm. I recall yeah. that, but I didn't think of it literally. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. He is the arm. Um, uh, uh, Philip, uh, Philip Gerard says at one point in time that when he, he had a tattoo on his shoulder and he cut the arm off, he says it in, in right. the dream. Right, right, right. But then uh, later in the series, when they found uh, when they found Philip and they they allow him to go into the mental state that he is without taking the drug that he's been prescribed to 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 suppress that personality, mm-hmm. when he recounts the story of cutting the arm off, he says uh, uh, he he remained close to me uniting from time to time for one purpose. And, uh, and also in Firewalk With Me, there's a moment when, uh, when we see uh, Laura's killer, Bob, his host, appears finally in the Black Lodge in front of Philip and the little man from another place. Yeah. And, and, you'll, and you see the, the, the little man stand up and put his hand on the missing sh- uh, arm on, on Philip Gerard's shoulder. Yeah. And then the two of them say together, Bob... I want all my Garmin Bozia. And they're speaking with one voice. He is the arm of, of Philip Jeffries. And his, I think his Philip role. Gerard. Or sorry, Philip, Philip Gerard. Yeah. Not, yeah. not Jeffries. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Jeffries is but Bowie, I, right? I, Jeffries yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the accent that I know you loved, Andrew. <laughs> hey, at least he can kind of mask it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that his, his job is he delivers the ring. Ring is this is the thing that bonds Bob to his victim, and uh, yeah. and he and the arm unite to deliver this this ring. He throws the ring into the train car at the end of the film, at the very end yeah. that Laura puts on, which means now she is not to be Bob's new vessel, but Bob's new victim. 
because it would it's you could you could have a nice debate whether which is worse to be the vessel or the victim this is true this is very true yeah yeah so leland is the vessel leland was he was the vessel yeah yeah and 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 Bob is working through him. So does Bob exist in the Black Lodge, in the Red Room? I Yes, he does. He I mean, does. like, does uh, he, he, is that like his home? I, I don't know. Maybe we're getting too into the weeds here. But like <laughs> Bob to me is, you know, obviously, he, you know, again, spoilers. If you're if you've come this far and you're still with us, more spoilers. But Bob is Leland and Leland is Bob. That's clear. But mm-hmm. Bob like there's all these people who kind of exist in this metaphysical realm with the man in the red suit. Right. Mm-hmm. And well, the, the Dugpa, I think that they may be referred to, um, by, uh, Wyndham Merle's character later on, these, these sorcerers uh-huh. of, of time and space, uh, that we, that we see in that moment in fire walk with me when, uh, Philip Jeffries, uh-huh. Dave Bowie's character appears and he's recounting, having been to one of their meetings, as he called it, which is where you see where the, the man in the red suit with, with the, the with the long nose, that terrifying. creepy business, the the uh, the woodsman uh, knocking over in the corner, the uh, the little man from another place talking to Bob, yeah, uh, over the four mica tabletop, yeah, with the mm-hmm. garment rosy, uh, the creamed corn that represents the pain and sorrow, which is something that one of them feeds on. I know that we say that Bob feeds on uh, fear and sexual pleasure. Mm. And that's uh, that's his diet. But the pain and suffering, the Garmin Bozia, that's that's what Bob has to bring and cash out at the end of the film to the lodge to pay out the pain and sorrow for the one armed man and the little man from another place. Whoa. And my my understanding about Bob is that uh, you could say that he is one and the same with Leland. But in another sense, Leland is still Leland and Bob moves in and out of different hosts. Mm-hmm. Leland mm-hmm. is a host. Mm-hmm. And in season two of, of Twin Peaks, Leland loses his life. But Bob lives on. Mm-hmm. Bob finds a different right. host. Right. Bob, yeah, is, right. Bob is the evil that men do. And mm-hmm. uh, Bob finds a host at the end of season two in uh, in Cooper, mm-hmm. which uh, he had poor guy. He had to live with him for 25 years. And then <laughs> in season three. We learn what Another, happens. A, a can of cream corn gets opened. <laughs> yeah. A great big can of cream corn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I See, and this is, oh God, this is why I love Lynch movies. I remember going to see Lost Highway when I was 17 uh, with, I was in Chicago on a, on a trip, uh, an art history field trip. Like I was there with my art history class. We all went to go like visit the art, art Institute of Chicago and see the architecture and do all this kind of fun stuff. And we had our nights free usually. And so we would go see comedy shows or go, see, you know, we, we would get to plan what we wanted to do. And I, I can't remember whether I convinced the group to go or whether it was a joint decision, but we decided that we were going to go see lost highway at this little two screen movie theater on the North side of Chicago. And, uh, and we went and we watched it as a group. And I remember we came back to the hotel room and we stayed up, all night, almost <laughs> talking about the movie. Just hours and hours and hours talking about what did this mean and what was this and you know mm-hmm. where where did this come from and oh my god wasn't this amazing and all that kind of stuff and and trying to suss out you know uh, your name what the fuck is your name yeah. uh, like mm-hmm. all of that that you know Robert Blake's whole character everything um, and I think that that's one of the joys of Lynch and the reason that he engenders so much love in his fans is because it he doesn't offer us any answers and he just kind of lays it all out there or even in the case of something like Mulholland Drive he if you bought the DVD to that he included a list of quote-unquote clues to help you that are completely nonsensical it's like pay attention to this pay attention to this there's also this thing and then you watch the film with all of that in mind and you're like that didn't this didn't help me at all, David. Lynch. Didn't help at all. <laughs> well, I think you know it's it does shoot you. Yeah, yeah. I think he. Uh, I think Twin Peaks, the the Twin Peaks universe, which encompasses the first two seasons, Firewalk with Me, and the Missing Pieces, and season three. Yeah. I really do think that all of that is his masterpiece. I think that's mm. what he wants to leave behind. I think he's creating his own mythology. 
he's creating his own world, which he's been doing his whole life. Yeah. But he's drawing, I think, from his own vivid imagination and his own experience and transmutating it into something surreal and hard to analyze or something open to interpretation. Uh-huh. And I'm personally really intrigued by what does he think about God and religion? And here in this film, you've got the overt presence of an angel. Yeah. But the thing yeah. is, an angel seems to be one aspect of Christianity that seems to transcend religion and be something that even an atheist or an agnostic could could believe in or could be comforted by. But it's a very it looks like a very traditional angel to me uh, near the end of this film. What do you guys yeah. think about religion in the Lynch universe? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on this one really quickly because because uh, sure. it's, it's a it's it's a fun point. The um the angel is from the picture that was in Laura's room. I was going to say, yeah. right. So, so she's got this, this picture of a, of an angel, like feeding children and that sort of thing. And she, when she gets the portrait from, uh, Mrs. Uh, is she Tremont or Chalfont and firewalk with me? I can't remember, but Chalfant, the old lady. Uh, in France, Chalfant, yeah. mm-hmm. And she, she gives her this, this picture and she says, this would look good hanging in your room. So Laura takes down the picture of the angel and she hangs up this strange picture that she got from the from the old lady. And then of course she has a dream where she goes into the lodge and and has her first encounters with some of the Dugpa. And when she wakes up, you know, after a uh, an incredibly strange night and dreams, and she does what any of us would do. She went over and took that picture, took it right off the wall, and set it right <laughs> back down on her desk. Yeah. On top of the picture of the angel. So in my mind, it's always been like this opened the door for this angel, this representation of what Laura saw as a mm-hmm. caregiver that she didn't have in her life in that sense, somehow makes it in to the lodge. Mm-hmm. And when she finds herself there at the very end, this is the form that her salvation takes that, that when she sees the, the good that's here for, for her, it's in the form of this absolutely classic angel, you know, the wings and the white gown and everything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's that. That was my take on it. I don't know that it's necessarily a, a statement on religion, other than you will see what it is you expect to see when you're looking for your salvation, perhaps. Yeah. No. And I think that even without the complexity of the uh, imagery that you just described, Steve, I I felt the same way that it was it was her seeing what meant the most to her, the thing that she would would be able to take comfort in because mm-hmm. it, it's you know the the black lodge is in some ways the afterlife or the in-between the limbo the whatever it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so when someone has passed on as as she you know spoiler alert does in this film if you've seen this television series you already know this mm-hmm. uh that that moment is her moment of clarity in sort of transcending either whether this is a stop on the way to heaven or hell or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's seeing the thing that, as you say, Steve, she did not have in real life. She didn't have an angel. Her mother is terrified of her father and they have this super weird relationship that is uncomfortable every single time it's on screen. Or, or, or is it is it even possibly an argument for relativity that coming from the life that Laura had, mm. if this is her afterlife and she's trapped in the Black Lodge, okay, this is this is better than where I was in right, a sense right. from her perspective. As dark as we want to say the Black Lodge is, she's not being raped by someone who is, you know, mm-hmm. as close to her as 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 Bob was. And but yeah, and it's supposed to be taking care of her. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So maybe it maybe it is a matter of you know one one man's hell could be another person's heaven. Maybe, maybe. Do you guys feel that Cooper's presence in this film kind of shoots the series in the foot? If this is meant to happen before Cooper gets involved in the case at all, do you feel like it's a weird thing for him to be in this movie? I mean, I mean. I'm asking you to think something's weird in a Lynch movie, but, <laughs> but do you, do you well, find that it, it me, compromises the, the story? I, I personally dig it, not just because I like the character of Cooper and I was glad to see him, 
but um, it it gives me the kind of comfort knowing that he is on the case in some sense that he is he's he was around he was there in the beginning and uh that he almost is the closest thing to a good guy in this whole story i mean the the, the first two agents uh chris isaac and keeper sutherland are you know you could say that they're good guys too but they uh they don't really have a lot of bearing on the the rest of the film and and we already know that Cooper has a huge bearing on the series and sure. the events that will follow. So, um, but yes, it's good. It feels good to know he's on the case, but at the same time, he's kind of ineffectual in this case. And that's something that gets explored and stretched way out in uh, season three <laughs> about how Cooper is really trying to to figure things out and fix things, but he's limited by what he can do. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just as, just as Cooper seems to be on the verge of some kind of breakthrough with, with David Bowie, the film goes to this other place. Yeah. And then I don't think we see Cooper again for the rest of the film after that. Until, until the last shot. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. For me, his, his presence in the film, I think, is it, it, it's just there. He he has his moment where he's talking to Albert, where he uh, Albert saying, you know, uh, or he's saying to Albert that he feels like he has this sense of who the next victim is going to be, and that Albert, you're going to help me solve this. Mm -hmm. It it sort of establishes some um, supernatural relationship then between he and Laura. Uh, uh, even though Albert's kind of making fun of him, like uh, you're general, you're generalizing. She's blonde. She's a high school student. She's sexually active. You're talking about half America, right? You know, right. Um, but but we but we see that he does have some kind of connection with her, and and I and I, I love the fact that uh, he has the dream about seeing Laura in the Black Lodge in the series on the night after Laura's death, and uh -huh. Laura has the same dream about Cooper that she writes in her diary before uh, the night that she's killed. So yeah. it's like the two of them have yeah. the same dream with each other in it. They're just 48 hours apart, and that intersection between the 48 hours is the point in time that Laura gets killed. It kind of links them. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Cooper doesn't really add a lot to Firewalk with me, but it does lay the groundwork for there's something else in that relationship between the two of them that binds them that we don't know yet. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Um. Now, getting a, a little bit away from the the plot elements, I guess, and, and sussing out the mythos of Twin Peaks, as a film, watching it this time and watching it when I saw it in the, in the theater just a little while ago, I was struck by the pacing of this film. I think this is one of those films, one of Lynch's weaker films in that regard. I feel like the pacing is really off in this movie. In, in sections of it. There are sections of it that move along at a good clip and feel really uh, compelling. But then there are big chunks of this movie that just, they move at that kind of odd Lynchian pace of dialogue and, you know, kind of this languid, drawn out sort of thing. But even situations that are ostensibly very fraught with emotion and, and very dire... I found myself just going, golly, can we move it along? <laughs> I, I'm thinking specifically of the uh, the moment when uh, when they they shoot uh, what's his name uh, in the in the back of the head uh, uh, in the woods. Yeah, in the woods, right? Oh yeah, and yeah. then uh, Officer Laura, Cliff, Officer Cliff, yeah, and yeah. Laura is laughing, and uh, Bobby is that Bobby? That's Bobby, right? Yeah, um, Bobby's. Uh, freaking out and trying to sort of cover this body up in dirt. And it, it, it goes on for such a long time and an uncomfortably long time. And maybe that's part of the point that it is uncomfortable and strange, yeah. but it, I, I found myself both when I saw it in the theater and when I saw it here, just sitting there going, okay, yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's almost as, it's as painfully long as the locker room scene between James and Laura uh -huh. with the, uh, the, the Laura, you know, is 
gone like a turkey in the corn. Yeah. What the hell is that? Yeah. What is the turkey in the corn business? Please, this, this is like the worst scene in the entire movie. Why? <laughs> of all the, and I've seen the missing pieces and all the weird, crazy, cool stuff that could have been in there. Why did you put this in there? Yeah, yeah. And I think like a part of it was just, I don't know if it's red herring or what, just to be like, just just for some reason, I have to see Sherilyn, uh, or Cheryl Lee say, gobble. Gobble, gobble. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I think that Lynch, I think Lynch is, is depending on Cheryl Lee to carry this film in a lot of ways. Yeah. And he, yeah. he's, he's, he's still the director, of course, and he's co-writing it. Um, but I think that he really is relying on her face, her expressions, and her character to kind of let the story live and let it proceed. And yeah. I think there's plenty of times in this film where we are just watching her react and the camera isn't moving. It's not getting closer. It's just statically yeah. observing her. And I can almost hear Lynch's directions that he's whispering to Cheryl Lee before the take, like about what kind of emotion she's supposed to have in this scene. And yeah, I think that he's definitely trying to, Make this all about her as much as possible, and and I think that scene you mentioned, Andrew, in the woods, is probably just another example of him kind of counting on her to kind of get his message across. Yeah, Phil, and I I think that I don't I know that when Twin Peaks came around and when this movie was out, everybody was sort of talking about her as the next big thing, the it girl in Hollywood, all of this kind of stuff. I'm just not sure she can carry a movie. Or a TV series, for that matter. I don't think she's that good. I think that certainly the other people, even the other actors, outshine her in a lot of ways. She's beautiful, and that's part of the point. Uh, as as Laura Palmer, she's supposed to be the sort of this idyllic American beauty. But uh, but I think that you might you might be pinpointing what bothered me about it, Phil, which is that Lynch is leaning on her to carry the movie. And I don't think she can carry the movie. I don't think that she has the acting chops to keep it interesting for long enough. I think she's good. And I think that she's perfect for what Lynch is asking her to do. But when it does get into those scenes where it's extended sort of displays of intense emotion for long periods of time, I think that's where it kind of starts to fall apart a little bit. Um, and in a way it works because it's weird and uncomfortable and strange, which is, you know, the hallmarks of a Lynch film. But but I, I think that's why I, I call it under the realm of trauma studies, because it doesn't have like a narrative thrust, per se, the way a film should. Yeah, like yeah. the way Wild at Heart does, you know, where you're constantly moving towards something yeah. and the character is going to change or undergo some kind of crisis. Like, sure, she undergoes a crisis in that she gets killed. But I mean, dramatically... Uh, it's not, it's not quite drama. It's 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 something else. It's Lynchian, for yeah, sure. But it's yeah. it's not. Uh, it it seems to come from a very personal place. That's how I feel about it. It's 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 a, uh, and it, it it since since the movie is surreal and it's so uh, focused on Laura's perspective, especially after the first half hour, you know. You could say that it is all interior to her experience because apart from a couple scenes with uh, with Cooper, um, we never leave Laura Palmer's side, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's all kind of her, her, subjectively her life experience. Yeah, once we're done with that first, that first half hour of the film, it's Laura's show the whole rest of the way, pretty much. Right. So, you know, if you're if you're exploring the psyche of a person... I think that's just the catnip that Lynch needs to pick up the ball and run with it, you know, and, and explore, you know, explore his psyche through hers. Sure. Sure. And I'm not excusing it. I think it doesn't, it's, this is probably my least favorite Lynch film. I mean, I think I may even like Dune more, Uh, (laughs) but, but yeah, I think Lynch is capable of, of really creating a, a great fucking movie with a great screenplay Mm -hmm. and, and basing a solid, film uh, on that and this film to me the way i understand it is not a story like blue velvet or mulholland drive which which 
are both, I think, excellent screenplays, but but a weird tone poem slash video <laughs> installation uh, installation piece where we're we're in the head of a character who has been abused, and this is what life seems like to her. I think that uh, a a lot of it from at least from a lore perspective is this is like the answer key for the fill in the blank test that you had in third period. Um, This is if you, if you've been following the series and you've puzzled over it and you've tried to put everything together and you go back and you look at fire walk with me and you realize even what you thought was the truth from what was being presented to you is a little bit off, but you're getting a chance to kind of build this backstory. And uh, I think it had to be, for Lynch, like being a kid in a candy shop, just being able to, I can write in all the weird stuff and just film scenery because everyone's already got the context, you know, mm-hmm. taken from that perspective. If you, if you, if you, if you totally nerd out on it and start looking at it from, from that angle, it does add, uh, uh, just a beautiful backstory to the series. Yeah. And that in itself is kind of sad because it, it does diminish the film because it really does mean the film is only as good as your understanding of the series is to that extent. Yeah. And I think that that's a perfect summary of exactly the way I feel about it as well. It is, it's almost like an addendum to the series that helps your understanding of it or helps you appreciate what's happening a little bit more, adds a little bit more to the universe and to the lore and to the everything. Uh, But it, it, absolutely fails as a standalone film, which might explain why it was so critically reviled when it came of out. Course. Yeah. Um, and, and rejected by audiences by and large. Uh, it, 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 it is a, it is in the same way that <laughs> it might not make sense to watch like a later Avengers movie because you haven't seen all of the Marvel stuff leading up to it. Although at least in that case, you know, it's, there's lots of explosions and like, you can, I guess, kind of just zone out and, <laughs> and be like, Oh, I'm, I guess I'm having fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but I'm the kind of guy that hasn't gone to see that Avengers movie simply because I haven't seen it. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, yeah. And Steve is also the guy who can really illuminate this film too, with a lot of the things that Lynch was thinking when he came up with some of the surreal stuff that, yeah. you know, that, uh, it's helpful to kind of have somebody who knows the movie thoroughly, knows the Lynch universe thoroughly and kind of see how this fits into that uh, catalog of sorts. Yeah. But yeah, I think that as a film on its own, uh, it's, it doesn't work for me. It sounds like there may be some other people on this call who have, who feel the (laughs) same way. Yeah. But I'm curious now to, to check out the missing pieces Mm-hmm. And see how does that add to this whole, you know, mythology and this whole lore, as you guys say. And if uh, if if Fire Walk with Me is an addendum to the series, then Missing Pieces is an addendum to an addendum. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. but it could even enrich. This could be a 21st century way to tell a story in 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 pieces like this, where you've got. It coming from different mediums over a period of decades, like the Bible, <laughs> <laughs> except with you know visuals, like you know you watch it, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that would well, you increase say... the value tremendously. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, wouldn't have know. to rely on illustrations, for example. <laughs> you did exactly. say 21st yeah, century, Phil. 21st century that automatically means you watch it, right? Right, of course. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So. I think we've all expressed our feelings on this particular film. Uh, we could probably talk about the intricacies of it forever. Um, if you're wondering what those those loud noises are, they're setting off fireworks outside my window. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it Twin started, Peaks... started... Yeah, that, it's, it's, it's not July the fourth in yet. New York already? I mean, it goes for like weeks around here. People just... <laughs> they all get their fireworks and they can't wait. Well, yeah, and it's on a Wednesday this year, so that's going to wreck two weekends. Oh, yeah, I know. Back, back to back. The worst. You know? Yeah, I earlier tonight, there was a whole fireworks display going on outside that I, I watched that went on for like half an hour, 40 minutes. It was it was ridiculous. I was like, we are several days in front of them. Maybe there's some other celebration I don't know about that's going on tonight, but uh, which is also very possible. Anyway, 
Twin Peaks Firewalk with me was the film. Steve, thank you so much for bringing it on the show. This thank is a you. joy to talk yeah. about. Uh, this is our is this our third or fourth Lynch film that we've talked about? I don't I know, I think it's man. at least our third because we've talked about Eraserhead. We talked about Dune. Now this. Now there's this. still more. There's more to talk about. There's more. There's so much more. There's always more. Uh, but that'll have to wait for another podcast. Uh, again, Steve, thank you for coming on. Uh, uh, we hope to have you on again sometime. Uh, give us another mm-hmm. suggestion. Mulholland um, Drive. <laughs> nice. Deal. I mean, <laughs> I'm totally down for it. <laughs> Uh, we hope that you, the listeners, will join us for our next episode when we will be talking about Sicario, Day of the Soldado, the sequel that I don't think any of us wanted, but that apparently we all needed because the reviews have been spectacular so far. Uh, I'm very excited to see this. Incidentally, it sort of roughly translates to Assassin, Day of the Soldier, which (laughs) sounds like an 80s movie. (laughs) Like a also reminds me of Manos, the Hands of Fate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mystery yeah. Science Theater three thousand. Uh, about one of the best episodes of MST three K. Uh, or was that that was on the movie, right? The movie they did, Manos, the Hands of Fate. No, no, uh, it was from the show. It was the show, man. Yeah. Okay. The, 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 the movie was This Island Earth. That's right. That's right. You're right. Uh, anyway, we're not talking about MST three K next time. It's going to be Sicario Day of the Soldado. So please join us for that, and we will see you then.